0: This week on the Educational Triage Podcast, we discussed the blurred lines in education. What could those be? Stay tuned and you'll find out more. This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Educational Triage Podcast. This is Tony, and of course, sitting right across from me in virtual land is the... Fabulous Philip. Aloha.
1: Hello. It's How good are you? to be in virtual land with you. I'm well. I'm doing well. Good. I good. like that doing well. It's better than fine. Fine is so fine. Mm-hmm. Well is better. Better than bad.
0: <laughs> I suppose. <it> is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, this week we're talking about blurred lines in education, of which there mm-hmm. are many. Yep. And so and we're also and we're also going to be continuing this on next week's episode too with we're going to pick one or two topics this week and then we'll continue mm-hmm. with different topics next week and we'll save the others for later on. But you have something you have a really good question that I think is relevant. I've seen it trending on Twitter. There's just a lot of chat yes. about it. So I'm just going to toss it over to you and let you lead the way down here for the touchdown. So have at it.
1: Oh, well, okay. Um, thanks. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I, well, we got to thinking, I got to thinking, which is a little dangerous sometimes. Um, Oh, here's my disclaimer too. uh, the conclusions that we draw aren't necessarily, um, you know, the only conclusions, they are opinions, but, uh, I, it, it occurred to me things like, uh, paraprofessionals versus teachers and, um, and then the aspect of curriculum thrown in we can talk about, but there's been a really crazy increase in the number of paraprofessionals or what we used to call instructional assistants Mm -hmm. in the last 30 years. It's something like teachers have gone from some 7% increase, whereas paraprofessionals have gone to about 108% increase in those years. The numbers are, aren't well. The numbers on paraprofessionals went from like three hundred ninety thousand to eight eight fifty thousand, something like that. I don't know exactly what those numbers are, but uh, with teachers, it it still stays high up there. From like, I think it's three point nine to four point two million. So you know there are there has been a modest increase in teachers, but there's been a massive increase in instructional systems, paraeducators, and things like that. And so, what are they doing? I mean, I was one going to grad school and school uh, in the local elementary school. Um, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it. I was working one on one with a couple of kids teaching them to read. It was something that was well into my pay grade, even though I was not really I was in junior college, but I could teach kids how to read. And there was maybe a few of us, a handful, but the teachers ran everything, and then I've noticed over the years that A lot of rooms or, yeah, whole rooms are being run by, like, paraprofessionals. Or there's one teacher and, like, three of them. And it's very interesting. It kind of makes me wonder what some of the roles are and how they've increased or decreased. You know, I mean, for example, when it comes to curriculum and administering curriculum, Uh, The difference between a teacher and a paraprofessional, of course, would be that teachers, they develop curriculum, they deliver it, they grade, they make the decisions that are paramount in the classroom, and paraprofessionals make none of that. However, there have been programs that I've known of where being online curriculum that curriculum is created online, it's delivered online, it's graded online at a student pace. And so a paraprofessional is kind of working like a teacher, doing the things that teachers would do, but they don't have to do that online stuff, that grading and the stuff that teachers like to do because the online thing does it.
0: They right, sort so they don't of, need they the certifications.
1: Right. And we all know the certifications are talking about emergency licensures for people. You know, they don't necessarily have to have, well, back in the day, I had to have a master's. It was a master's degree or nothing. And, and now, you know, in some places it's lowered to bachelor's and even lower than that. And so those are also paraprofessionals. Uh, unless they're hired as teachers, but generally paraprofessionals are hired hourly and they're very cheap and they have very few rights. They're very underrepresented.
0: That depends on the state and whether or not they have the right to work or if they have a union or what's going on. And usually they generally, yeah, they, don't. there's very even, little
1: research on that.
0: Yeah. Uh, right. So here's, <laughs> here's one, one thing that I would say, and that is, could it be possibly one with the advent of online teaching with the computerized programs? We're talking about Odysseyware, we're talking about Ingenuity, Grad Point, mm-hmm. et cetera.
1: My we're also fear, about State testing. Right. There were yes. testing coordinators in yes. each building. Testing that coordinators. Were responsible for yanking mm-hmm. kids out of class and getting them to take the. Yeah. Right. And they were not teachers doing that. Yeah
0: my fear is that they are replacing teachers in alternative ed with classified with paraprofessionals mm. because that way it costs them a lot less and that right. and and it just it's like a one and done kind of thing and so you just put it in their mm. hands and you don't need to have the teachers do it which i i
1: just makes it makes my blood boil. Is what it makes does. good sense too, business wise, and that I think right. is one of the problems. Mm-hmm. These decisions aren't made on behalf of the kids or the teachers. They're made on behalf of what's economic or what makes quote business sense for the school district, and it makes a ton of. Again, we're talking about blurred lines, and I don't want to put all the dots on there and all the yarn going between the pictures. I don't want to go all crazy Nash guy. But it seems to me that there is this yeah, as soon as testing started to take hold, there was the testing coordinators in each building. There was the testing coordinator district-wise, and she was a haggard, mean woman. She, she worked too hard and was not pleasant about it. And there was a She only a snapped at
0: me twice. Testing.
1: Only twice. You only met her three times, right? No. No, uh, I used to talk to her twice.
0: Her, frequently. She was,
1: Oh, every time I saw her, she was just harried. I mean, I think we were a stop on her 10-school route that day, which had to be stressful. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, and that sort of thing happens, and I'm noticing the paraprofessionals are working under the administrator, and she's administrating them. It's very interesting.
0: And they're not treated as peers. They're treated as underlings.
1: They definitely are. They're treated as underlings. And I, I've actually known some of those uh, people that did that testing stuff. Really insightful. Mm-hmm. Had some suggestions and were shot down. Sounds familiar because they're the ones working with the test. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, well, I tell them their boss it would be better this way. No, it won't. Well, I, it would be because I've worked it and it does work better than. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it there seems to be a lot of blurred lines. There's a lot. There's big increase
0: mm-hmm. in now,
1: um, the. Well, the
0: other the other category that I would have to say that there is are the number of paraprofessionals that are hired for special ed. So when you mentioned one teacher with three students, it made Mm -hmm. me consider, one, that there may be a high number of special ed students in that class Two, there could be a lot of students with language needs. ELL, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and so you, we do have the need for them to be working with students to help them get through the day because they only have one period of of English language learning, ELL. Mm-hmm. During the day and the rest, they're put into regular classrooms, into regular class settings. So it'd be kind of like if you came in and you were, let's say, a 10th grader and you moved from your cozy little home in Vancouver, Washington, and they plopped you down in the middle of Bulgaria and they just started handing out assignments and nobody spoke well, they probably do speak some English, but it's you have to learn the language mm-hmm. and it takes yeah. And and the data is that it takes up to seven, six to seven years in order to attain academic language. And here we're expecting mm-hmm. kids to be able to make it through within one to four years at the secondary right. level in order to be able to get there. So <laughs> we have those we I mean? have. Special ed students who have yeah, Lord what, what knows if you what have a needs. kid
1: who's just autistic, and they just don't maneuver well. I mean, going from classroom to classroom is not something they'll do autonomously. Then they'll right. have a one to one, and I've seen that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. A one to one. So the inclusion is possibly part of it. I'd love to. Right. I researched a bunch of reasons why, and it doesn't. There's not a real clear line anywhere. Depends on the questions you're asking, I suppose, but. I, I couldn't find things such as, you know, are there more instructional assistants, a, you know, teaching classroom material, for example, or is the increase due to the inclusion of kids in schools? You know, because it could that's very important. well be.
0: It could very yeah, well I, be. But to have a one to one, how ratio. much did you say yeah. an 800% increase?
1: Well, it was a 108% increase. Yeah, Which is extraordinary. Which is still pretty, pretty it increased quite a bit. And so I have to wonder, you know, how that's happening and where that's blurring some of the lines. I've actually known people who were technically paid as an instructional assistant, but were teaching uh, in a classroom as a teacher while they were working to get their education because they had worked in that building so long they had earned the trust right but they didn't have the credentials so how does that's that's definitely they taught it just like a teacher would. the only what the only thing is they're an ia they were just paid hourly and they didn't get paid paid as much and they didn't have the same benefits all that and when she got her degree Yeah. Full fledged teacher, up pay scale, Benny's the whole nine. But yeah. Right. But yeah, there's being being a pair educator is not (laughs) it's not the greatest gig pay rise. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Just out of curiosity,
0: when was the greatest rise in the hires?
1: It appears to be pretty much in about the last six or seven years.
0: Oh, okay. So, so it, really so it happened. Be it was happening prior to the pandemic.
1: Oh yeah, it, it wasn't just because of the pandemic. The pandemic just messed up everything.
0: Yeah, because part of what I was thinking was that were they hired to replace the teachers that districts were losing, and that was just the classification that they gave people for their emergency credentials if they didn't yeah. have their bachelor's or a full-fledged That'd degree. would be interesting follow-up.
1: Them. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how many people are still <laughs> full-fledged going at it from, like, a decreased qualification. Mm-hmm. I I would like to know, like, I guess anecdotally, but yeah, what's the lowest level a person was that got a classroom? Were they like a high school senior? Well, she's gifted. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, <laughs> she, she's going to make a great teacher when she starts college next year.
0: <laughs> I know, I know of somebody who graduated with their master's degree at the age of eighteen, and they it's the and they became Busy. a teacher, and they were a substitute teacher. And so it was very difficult for people to distinguish between them and the other students. Right. And he was telling me that it was actually kind of fun because that this way he was like interacting with peers. And so it was a very different kind of interaction that was going on, but he enjoyed it, but he wasn't going to be a teacher. So, I was going
1: to say, he just became a teacher as a part-time gig as he worked his way through. Exactly. Exactly. Oh yes, and I think I'm smart. <laughs> 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 you hear about people, you go, "Oh yeah, I'm not that smart." Well,
0: I did have, I did have Damn. a professor in college, and rumor was that he had his PhD at the age of twenty-two. 22. I think that's Jeez. what they said anyway he was a brilliant man very brilliant and he went yeah. on to do some great things and I really didn't get a chance to know him very well but we we began to get to know each other he got married and then he moved and yeah so it wow. does happen but by the same token back on track Mm-hmm. The there is this huge also increase in administration, which is eighty-eight percent over the last twenty years.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty big number. If we're talking about a hundred and eight percent, that's darn so,
0: near there, eighty-eight. Yeah. And I'm questioning, I'm questioning the dollars and cents that business-wise that this actually makes. Why do we need to have so many administrators? Is it because we have such a contentious relationship with the community that there are all these lawsuits that are happening? Somebody told me that, well, we have all these federal mandates. Well, Why do we have all these federal mandates? I mean, what are the federal mandates that are telling you that you have to spend more money on administrators than you do on the bloody kids that you're supposed to be there to be teaching, correct?
1: Yeah. Essentially, that's the model that breaks. You know, when when middle management and upper management get, like, all the purpose, attention, and resources, and the whole Mm -hmm. purpose of the place is just completely disregarded school like school what teachers kids what? oh that's right <laughs> i mean the administrators would always come through and read a book to the kids you know like once uh they do it like a once a day they go for or once every hour they go from school to school and they do it for like two days you know and some did they stopped doing that but I thought to myself, they must really hate those days. <laughs> well, actually, it's my like, oh, former... I gotta go make the school tour. It's like, oh man, I gotta go read that same story.
0: My former superintendent has made has made it her, her mission now yeah. to spend fifteen minutes in every single classroom in the district.
1: What up? Yeah. Now, that's exceptional. Well. This
0: way, she will have a picture of what's really going on in the classrooms.
1: Well, no, that's not true. She'll make more of an appearance. But...
0: That's not. Yeah, it's 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 very artificial.
1: Oh well, I that mean, would be. Yeah, yeah. No, not the purpose would not be to learn everything there is to know in fifteen minutes. No,
0: no, because, I mean, in one way, it's just her making an appearance so that everybody sees her there. But it's, you know, maybe to establish some kind of idea as to what is happening in the classrooms, but how much of that is going to be artificial as well? Because if I know if let's say that I'm a first, second, third, fourth, or fifth year teacher, and I don't, you know not a veteran teacher but i also know veteran teachers who will be just as much on oh, what's the word they're going to be on edge uh-huh. having yeah, this person they... come in and they're yeah. going to feel judged and everything and so they want to make the right appearance and you you know me i mean i would just say well here's what we're doing J- just sit over there cuz we're busy and we just take care of what we take care of. I mean, we've had superintendents in there before. And we've had a lot of people in our in our program before. But it's also disruptive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and all of this is on the heels of an incident that made national news. So... I don't know well, that this is actually going to cure anything.
1: No, but, well now, that's it, it's it's exceptional it's, it's exceptional to get out of the office and actually go to classrooms is what I meant. But to think that you're going to do anything more than that, especially on a mm-hmm. PR campaign. Boy, that sure sounds like politics and office stuff.
0: It's entirely politics. Now here's yeah. now they have a ton of teachers on special assignment or TOSAs. And these are people who are basically interns for admin. And Mm -hmm. they have so many of them. In fact, they have so many administrators that now they're farming them out to the different buildings for office space because they can no longer contain them in the district office. Mm -hmm. Now, 30 years ago when I first started working in that district they had a they they had basically two mobile homes parked together and that was all they needed and now they have a two-story building with a massive warehouse they have all these extra classrooms that they can't use anymore because they're training they have packed people in there It's hard to move around. It's almost like going into a hoarder's paradise right now. And it just seems as though they're hiring more and more and more and more administrators. And I just don't understand the purpose of why. Because the number of teachers that they're hiring isn't Mm -hmm. following suit. The number of students isn't growing. In fact, it's dipping a little bit. So why -hmm. do we have so many administrators with a stagnant population in a sense? Mm -hmm. Because the number of students, number of teachers is approximately 9%.
1: That's important to note too. The teachers and the students have an exploded number.
0: Yeah. So there seems to be a disconnect. And I don't know if, there's going to be a trend where they put everybody onto online Mm -hmm. and this is what their purpose is. And they're just sort of moving it that way. I don't know if I really don't know. I mean, I can't conceptualize what's really going on here.
1: Yeah. It's hard to find the lines if they connect anywhere. I have some assumptions. I, we had the assumptions, for example, you know, that online education can be administered by para. So who needs a teacher when you got that? That's the teacher. Huh. The administrators, the explosion in numbers there. You know, one of the things I kind of suspect is maybe inclusion. Just like, I, I, I don't know. How many districts are running new programs on uh, emotional well-being? Hire an administrator. Hire two. How many of them are running... Uh, programs on i don't know um languages you know language attainment language acquisition and a whole like subsystem in the schools to that would be kids who come services. in as second language speakers that would be student services okay i mean i i would think i would like to think it's because they are serving the kids better but i still think it's just been such a massive increase <laughs> Without the increase of students or teachers, of administrators, what is it they're actually administrating?
0: I don't see how there can be any kind of efficient system when you have so many people involved doing whatever it is. There was a Tosa, there was a Tosa who was running around like a chicken with his head cut off. (laughs) not sure about. I know know that they just kept sending him out here, there and everywhere. They said, go into this building. And one day I heard him speaking. He said, yeah, I am over here and I have been working with Tony and these other people on these things. And I looked at him and I said, when I've seen you all year, but you and I have not worked together. I don't think actually, or had a meeting for probably two years how are you working with me and he got all flustered and he left and i still never had anything with him and i had used i used to do Hmm. some work with him back in the day when i was doing second language acquisition or second language learning And I was working as a TOSA myself, and we brought in some of the new testing mechanisms and everything. But they are, I don't know that they're being completely genuine in what they say that they're doing. I'm totally confused, because if they're telling people one thing, and then they're upset because somebody says, no, you're not doing that, us. Nobody's doing that with us, and you're claiming to be doing that. It's just not happening. So mm-hmm. I don't I really don't know. And I would beg to ask our audience to write in and give us some ideas of what yeah. they think may be actually happening out there. I mean, this would be I don't know. It's it's a well, mystery. I wonder-
1: one of the things that I, I have a theory about is that the great American, the great twentieth-century American and in, in international ailment, the bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. You know, the the great ailment of capitalism, that it it first off it concentrates wealth in places, but it also creates that middle management, middle, you know, I mean, office space the office wasteland of my father's generation. They all went to the, you know, work and, and we saw it in New York. Everyone gets off the bus and goes into the building, you know, and there's a middle management sort of, we have a job to do. We're never quite sure what it is. We've got projects. We do that. We do this. Mm -hmm. We manage people and we cover our keysters
0: you know, but I think
1: and, and if we're told to go to a building and do something and it's an absolutely silly, meaningless job, mm-hmm. and then the person calls, well, What have you done? Well, here's what I've done with your silly, meaningless job. You know, it's sort of a it's it's really definitely a middle management clamor to cover the keister and but just keep a I, job.
0: I think it's a way to go through largesse is what I think it is.
1: Because oh, when that. you have
0: largesse. Because some people believe that yeah. having all these underlings that they have direct mm-hmm. contact and that they have supervision mm-hmm. over is some kind of, it's, it's a power mechanism.
1: I have a parking And you spot. have the money I to be somebody. doing it. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It, there are perks that come with that. And people, they don't understand, you know, that because you're called that doesn't necessarily make you that. There's, I noticed that I looked at the qualifications of, uh, or rather the qualifications, qualities of being an administrator, you know, generally what mm-hmm. is being taught there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things, emphasis on leadership skills. Right. I have met few leaders amongst the administrators I've worked for. Few, oh. if any, a true leaders for someone who's studied it, been introduced to the concept. Teachers aren't we're not given courses in leadership, you know, and we're amongst them about <laughs> trying to like lead a group of freaking fifth graders someplace. I'll tell you, I don't know if we may need a course in leadership, That that's innate skill, but we don't have any of that. Administrators do, and they're terrible leaders. Most of the ministers I've worked for were aloof, if not just generally kind of not qualified, not focused. I got the feeling that, I was only a minor, minor part of their concern or job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never developed a relationship except for with one who was, by the way, in the building and talking to us all the time with an open door. Now, she was a right. leader. I don't know what she studied or if she studied leadership skills, but she was a leader. Very few are. They're just, they're doers, they're movers, they're shakers, they're, oh, look at me, I'm somebody, I got a parking spot, yeah, I got a title, but they're not real leaders. You wouldn't fall in behind them. You'll comply, but you won't follow them, per se. The difference is,
0: the difference is that they get into it for the money and for the prestige
1: they do a lot they, of them they want it has a money. lot
0: to do as i said before with control now the one that you're talking about was in it for the kids how do we best serve the students yeah the other yeah, administrators it the majority of the a lot you know i've met great leaders along my way i really have fantastic right. fantastic people but then I've been in tons of different buildings in different districts and different towns and and countries but when you have people who are more impressed with themselves and being able to point to things and just are very laissez faire as far as what's happening over here until they get word that this has to happen and then Bam, by golly, that's what's going to happen. And so then they become this authoritarian figure. It's very difficult to work with somebody that way. But the administrators that are are leaders are team players. And they know how to Hmm. talk to people. They know how to access the talent around them and figure – and I don't mean being manipulative – I mean, saying, Philip, what do you think about this? And so you have input on it. And then maybe there's a suggestion. Do you think that maybe we might be able to do X, Y, or Z? And you say, yeah, maybe. But to be honest, because you can be very upfront, frank, and honest with those people. And you can say, I don't have the capacity right now to do that. And they say, well, what would it take for you to get there? Or you say, "Hey, this is my thought. This is what I'm going to do," and they say, "Are you serious? Are you really going to try that?" And it's like, "Yeah, I'm going to give it a shot. We'll give it a shot, and if it doesn't work, well, you know what? It's good for the kids to see failure, and it's good for the kids to see what we do in order to pick up the pieces so that we can make things yeah. work better for them."
1: So, so there's a men and San they and support that. Yeah. Well, a guy named Simon Sinek, he's a systems and leadership guy. And he has a phrase, leaders eat last. That, you know, they take all the credit when something goes wrong and absolutely none of it when it goes right. It's very unselfish. It's a good leader will get what they get for sure. But they always give because they're the leader. They facilitate who's below them to do the best job that they can do. And that facilitates their role as a leader. So then up to themselves as a leader, they're not directly effective. Mm -hmm. And it's so, that's why they, if it all goes wrong, they get all the blame. And if it goes right, they get none of the credit. And that's a rare human quality that people do not understand. They just think, well, I'll tell them what to do. They'll do it. And I'll be a leader. And it's like, no, not so easy.
0: And, and when there's a, one of the biggest red flags, I think, is when they say my school, those students... The teachers in that department, mm-hmm. or my de- my teachers, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. when it should be our. Our students, our teachers, our department, what we are doing, right. it's a collective yes. kind of thing. It's very simple. It's the same thing <laughs> when, when I'm speaking to a couple, and one of them will say, well, my children... It's like, well, aren't they their children too? Well, yeah. And so I always wonder about that because there's like this need to possess things rather than talk about things as though you're a team. And I, you know, I I heard somebody That's saying, interesting point. When when yeah. this one person in a couple said, "Well, my house, my piano, my car, my children." and i looked and i said well these things are are they yours or do you both own them well we both do but you know i just call them mine and the other partner says our our our
1: i've seen that
0: and it's just it you know my nose gets a little bent out of shape with that so
1: Words are important. They are
0: are. because what they do is they reflect your sense, especially in this context. They express your intent. They also express your worldview. And if you're not inclusive in your language with the students, that's what inclusion is. It's not this artificial kind of thing where you say well we're just going to slap these kids into these rooms and we're going to make it work you include them and you make them feel welcome you make them feel important you make them feel capable you make them feel bright and you challenge them because I can tell you Philip that you're the smartest little boy in the world but you can't put two Lego blocks together to save your life
1: so give me three. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you I, I, understand you know, what I'm yeah. saying? No, I do. I was just okay. It, it brought to mind something about the difference between a parent and a teacher. Mm-hmm. I was working recently um, with uh, groups of uh, kids. I was working in a special ed group, and so they, and some of the kids, you know, they had an assistant with them. Um, to work with them directly and they went from classroom to classroom and they had this kind of uh, some of the parents sort of had a uh, way of speaking to the students that put an awful lot of onus on them you know phrases such as why are you doing that you know and we you know when you say that to a kid why are you doing that the subcon, the subtext to it is, and the kid doesn't get that, is that you're doing something I don't like. You're not supposed to do it. Why are you doing that? But they don't get that, especially the autistic kids. And, you know, they would say things such as that. And I would sort of wince because my, I picked my language very carefully mm-hmm. and, you know, and it's generally... It doesn't lay on the listener judgments that I'm making. Why are you doing that implies I don't like you doing that. You know you're not supposed to. Cut to the chase. Why are you doing that? Puts a kid in a position of defensiveness. And that's the difference between me as a teacher and them as paraeducators. There is a skill, a nuance, a professionalism to being a teacher that they simply do not have in many cases. Right. Right. They work really hard, they're very caring and loving, and they do their best, but they simply aren't as sharp as they should be when it comes to certain skills and teachers I, are a good I had teacher a para that way
0: I had a paraprofessional working with me mm-hmm. who about every five, 10 minutes would put their fo- cell phone down and look at the kids and say, get off your cell phone.
1: And then they wow, would pick well, up their cell obvious. phone
0: and they'd be texting on it some more.
1: Yeah. And one see, day as a joke, obvious. I just looked
0: at them and I said, you're on your cell phone an awful lot. Well, I'm texting my husband and my mom and my sister. I said, your mom and your sister work here in the building. You can just, you know, you don't need to be yeah, on can the see on your him at cell lunch, phone at that. For God's much. sake,
1: I'm saying the same thing to kids. You'll see them at lunch. Yeah. And,
0: yeah. but there is so much time that's wasted on their cell phone, and the kids come up to yeah. me and they say, "What do they do?" And I say, "Well, they do do some very important things." And they say, "But they're always on their cell phone." I said, so you're complaining about them being mm-hmm. on their cell phone, but you think it's okay for you to be on your cell phone. So I kind of try to get those things together and take the pressure off of the one side. But it's it's very telling. It's I've very telling.
1: That. I've and, seen that. Yeah, just being on the cell phone in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people say, well, I, why it, are you
0: on your cell phone? And it's like, because I'm texting with parents and I'm texting with some of you who need things from me. And that's usually my reason.
1: I I think it's a big deal not to be on a cell phone as a teacher in a classroom. And there's a couple of reasons why. First reason is I don't want you on your cell phone. And I'm not going to be the best example of a hypocrite that you've ever seen. I'm just not going to be the best story. This guy named Summers would just be on his phone and he'd be so mad at us. So guess freaking what? I'm not going to do it. And two, if we need to go on a cell phone, I make a demonstrative. Like, I'm going on the Google machine, and we got computers anyway. So I mm-hmm. look it up on the, la- or the death- laptop. The point is this. I'm the teacher. I eat last. I don't go on my cell phone and check my mail while I'm in the classroom. I'm always right. available, always observing, always there. It's my job. That's what I'm talking about. A parent does, they think, well, I'm just hanging out. No, you're the adult in the room. Be the example of the adult in the room.
0: Let me throw out my caveat, which is my program. I had students out at work sites. And I had to go yeah. out and sometimes pick students up. I sometimes had to get things off to parents. And so it right. was a very it wasn't your regular classroom with students that were constantly just working. No,
1: you were different. So yeah, you were
0: now yeah. when when I was teaching as a regular classroom teacher, or mm-hmm. if I was doing regular classroom teaching, or if I'm working with students, my phone is off to the side. A lot of times, I left my phone yeah. in my office, and I didn't come out with me. And it then didn't I even
1: take it. And then yeah, somebody that. would sit or there and say, silent. "Oh, you have to do
0: this," and then I'd leave, and it's like I'd come running back, and it's like, "Where's my phone?" Because <laughs> I it's the last
1: thing I would it think about you. Because I turn mine to silent, and then I leave work. And it's been on silent for like two hours. I'm like, ah like, well, I didn't know anything. It's just been on silent. But it's important. It it's very embarrassing. That sucker goes off, and I'm a teacher. Right. It's like, ooh. Yeah. yeah, I take that very seriously. Cause you gotta Yeah.
0: That, so that's anyway, some of
1: the blurred lines, I think. You're right. That one of the phones is a huge blurred line. It is a huge if blurred I line. It. But I, I believe yeah. that most professionals
0: know that you're not mm-hmm. doing personal texts and calls and checking your emails because you have a computer in front of you.
1: Right. When you, you got need a it.
0: So unless there is something pressing with work or there is something huge at home in your personal right. life, life or death kind of thing, there's no need to have it.
1: So really yeah. because
0: you can always get to it a little bit later for example in the last in the last portion of the class where you have them working on on doing the skill work so let's say that you had them doing math you're they're working on the problems there and so you can go around and you can help them but you've already oh, right. also facilitated an extra thing so you can do almost like a flipped classroom. So when they get home, they can see you explaining it again and they can work on it there mm-hmm. if that's what they need. Or if they miss school, it's there for them to look at. So you don't have to do an entire lesson for them. Yeah. Anyway, we need to wrap up. Yes. So next week... We will have another category of Blurred Lines. So stay tuned. Be sure to write in and give us your thoughts. And we look forward to listening to you and hearing from you and seeing you again next week. So until then, keep your feet on the ground, reach for the stars, and adios.